Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 133, which means that when we get to our What's in a Number segment later in the program, we'll be talking about the number 33 and its relevance to Oswego Speedway and Super Modified Racing, and that will be fun to do. We also have a very special guest. The Colonel Joe Hawksby has joined us uh, for this show, so we'll be talking with him shortly. Uh, great to have Joe on. We talked with Joe's grandson, Talon, a couple of shows back, and now we get to talk to Grandpa. He is the gentleman who started it all, and wait till you hear the story of, of, of why he started. That was something that I did not know. Um, and, uh, it's, it's such an apropos story, especially when I think about it in relevance to the 1970s and kind of where, where we were at the time, um, you know, as, uh, <laughs> as a society and kind of how, you know, the guys at work, so to speak, operate, you'll, you'll hear the story. It's funny. Um, and, uh, Glad to have had the chance to talk to Joe. So excited to bring that to you. Um, want to start the show with just, um, I don't want to make this too sad, um, but I do want to start the show by uh, paying a special nod to um, a very good friend of mine and one of our true super fans here in the groove, um, Larry Trinka. I'm sure that all of you know by now, um, Larry's mom passed away very recently. And um, Lorraine was certainly Pete the Program Man's better half. She was a true sweetheart, very kind woman, a lot of fun. Um, and just uh, a huge supporter of Oswego Speedway and Racing, and and um, boy, I know that over the years there were a lot of gatherings at the Trinka House. I was there a couple of times, um, and uh, just enjoyed talking to Pete so much when I'd see him at the track. I, I kind of used to feel bad in a way because we used to get our programs at Carson's News when that was open. And I always wanted to get them early. And, and Oswego, thankfully, always uh, put them out early. You know, they'd come out, at least for, for, for most of my years of going there, they'd come out on Wednesday or Thursday. And, uh, you know, would be distributed to various uh, newsstands around town, and you could get them at the Speedway Press and whatever. But And then, of course, you'd get them at the track. And I always, uh, always kind of felt bad, like I should have been buying it from Pete, but I couldn't wait that long. I just, man, um, but I always made sure I, you know, when I saw him, I talked to him a little bit and, um, I can't do his whistle. I've never been able to do that whistle, but, uh, 
his infamous greeting, what do you say, shy? That I'll never forget. Uh, that will stick with me, hopefully, for the rest of my life. Because it was just, uh, it was, uh, Pete was a great guy. He's just a really good guy. And, and um, Lorraine was his backbone. And um, I know that, uh, I haven't had a chance to talk to Larry yet, but I know that uh, there was, I know he went up, obviously, uh, Larry lives in Tennessee now. He went up for, obviously, for the um, the celebration of life and all of that. And I know that um, there was some sort of celebration of life at the family homestead after the next day, I think it was, after the service, or maybe it was right after but um, I'm anxious to hear about that from him because I, I gather that that was a good old-fashioned, you know, gathering. It, it wasn't, you know, necessarily uh, the kind of, I think it was a celebration of life, right? Um, and that's what you need, right? When, when this sort of thing happens, you need family and friends around you and you, and you need to remember them for how they lived and uh so uh larry we're thinking about you um praying for god to bless and comfort you and your family in this time and uh um we uh we appreciate everything that uh you brought to us here at the show and your continued support but also um i know that i can speak for a whole lot of people when i say that um we all appreciate the contributions that you've made to a swing of speedway and super modified racing just through, you know, the endeavors that you've done with pit crewing and, um, you know, all the restorations that you're doing and, you know, all of that, you've been a great friend to, uh, speedway in the community. So we're thinking about you in this time. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I, I started to think about, Joe Hawksby and I and I was thinking about Larry and all of that and and it really kind of reminded me of just what racing for me anyway why I love this sport um when I talked to Joe Hawksby and again you'll hear the interview I don't want to give it all away here but in a, in a big picture sense, I felt like I was talking to an underdog. Joe was never a driver who had the most money or the best equipment. I mean, his last couple of cars were good cars. They were Graves cars. They were, um, you know, or West cars. They, they were updated cars, um, certainly, but still not necessarily, you know, the most money for tires or whatever, but boy, he had some he had some good guys around him at the end. And so, um, but Joe, the, the thing I used to love about Oswego and super modified racing. And, and of course I learned that it, it, it exists all over is the, the passion for the sport. This is a sport really where, I mean, you look at the NFL, you look at the NBA, you look at, even major league baseball, I'm not saying, you know, hockey, all this, I'm not saying that there's no passion there. Cause surely there is, but those athletes are paid so much money that a lot of them really don't even have to care. 
about wins and losses. They just don't. Um, sure, they all want to win the Super Bowl or the World Series or the NBA title or the you know Stanley Cup or whatever it is, but it's different. It's a job. And I'm not disrespecting them in any way. I'm just saying that the mindset's different. You, you, especially in short track racing, but, but, you know, really all racing. This is a sport that, that feeds on the passion of those who are participating because nine times out of 10, they're paying for that. They're paying for the privilege to play the game. It's only when you get to the very top levels that somebody's paying you. And while so many people diss the sport, you know, because of that, well, it's not as good as it used to be. Well, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, nothing is, right? I mean, I, I you, and I think that's just part of aging. I think I've learned that you... The older you get, the more you think everything was better back then, right? Because, you know, what's going on today is not intuitive or familiar or comfortable for me. All this technology and the the way that it's just out of control and nobody's regulating it and it's causing all kinds of grief and making it easier for people to, you know, steal from each other or whatever. Like, right? I mean, it's, you know, if you're, if you're 25, you grew up with all this stuff and you're not as uncomfortable with it as somebody my age. And so um, I've had to learn to adapt because I don't want to perish, you know. And there are pieces of technology. I now have two pieces of community type technology, community building technology that nobody else in the entire sport has right now. Which to me is is, you know, you look up and, and it's that's kind of where you go, wow, you're you're a really funny god sometimes, right? The least technical guy, the guy who hates technology, has been given the opportunity to introduce two major pieces of technology, community building social app technology to the sport. Incredible. But um the point I'm making here is one of the things that I really realized when I was interviewing Joe was was Joe Joe loved racing. He just loved it. And I'm not sure, I guess he still loves it in a way now, but he also sees the change and sees how it's kind of evolved. And it's a lot harder to be a Joe Hawksby today. Just ask Jack Jack Patrick. I consider Jack Patrick to be a modern-day Joe Hawksby. I'm not at all comparing one to the other in terms of driving ability. I'm saying that in terms of the ability to go out and have the the, the equipment and, and the crew and the maintenance and all of that in order to compete, I consider Jack Patrick to be a modern-day Joe Hawksby. I think there's sort of equivalent there. Jack would be one that I would consider on that scale. And, um, and he busts his butt because he loves it. So did Joe. And you look and and people, you know, always NASCAR or whatever. It's like, well, but there are those guys in the upper levels too. And I'll tell you one, and many of you may not really realize this. How many of you used to watch Malcolm in the middle? 
the star of that show, Frankie Muniz, raced ARCA this year. He's like 36. Frankie has always raced from the time he was old enough to, to find something to race. He's always done some kind of racing, uh, mostly amateur road racing kind of stuff, and he did it well. He's very good at it. But oval track racing was totally foreign to him. I think he's had about eight late model starts. But um, Frankie, who, by the way, is not a, you know, multi-multi-millionaire where he can just throw money at his racing. That's not the situation he's in. Frankie has always acted in order to afford to race. And he's always wanted to make a run at the big time. So this year he got a couple sponsors together and ended up making a deal with a team from down here called Rhett Jones Racing, and um, it's a it that which is a really solid team, and they're they specialize in working with newer drivers. And Frankie was new to the Arca series, and Frankie's been racing Arca all year long. He's had a couple of uh, really good runs, um, and for a while he was chasing Jesse Love, who's like twenty or twenty one now. Um, and Jesse is on his way. I mean, he's in Toyota's program now. That doesn't mean he's spoiled little rich kid. Not at all. Jesse is very humble. He's very spiritual. He's he he really works hard at his craft. He's in the sim all the time, in the gym all the time. He's doing all the things he needs to do. I coached Jesse for three years, so I I I know the kind of a young person he is and the family he comes from. Um, but all I'm saying is the two situations are totally the opposite, right? Here's Jesse on his way up second year in Arca, um, you know, with the best team in the sport, basically Venturini Motorsports, um, got all the best stuff. Here's Frankie coming in, Mr. New Guy, and he's he he was second in points for a, a good long time. Frankie is he's done well. I talked to Frankie after Charlotte. The, the Charlotte Arca race, he finished sixth. He was so excited just to be doing what he was doing. I mean, the passion, he was like sixth was a win to him. He was so thrilled. He was so happy. And, you know, that's the kind of unbridled passion. That's, those are the drivers. And, and, and so many of the, 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 the underdogs, Remember that back in the day we used to have, I think it was Avis car rental. We're number two. We, we try harder. That's those are the Avises of the motorsports world are the ones that I, and even when I was younger, that's why I always loved seeing Joe do well or a Sammy Carista do well, or I mean, I, there's a million, but that's also why I always loved the, 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 uh, car owners of the 70s, the Herm Grafs, the Steve Millers, the, you know, Ralph Wissings, the ones that, the ones that did it, and most of the drivers did it for the love of it, but I always loved the ones that just didn't quite have enough, but they always made the most of what they had and they loved it. And that's where I put Joe Hawksby. And that's why I, you know, I'm so excited about Frankie Muniz still trying to, I'm, I'm, I've been, it's, it's hard to, to, to get Frankie for a longer sit down, but we're trying, um, hopefully soon. But, um, that was, a that was cool to be able to interview him and just, like I said, see the passion that he has 
And he's again working his tail off to get sponsors and to get he's in the same game everybody else is, even though he's Frankie Muniz. Still gotta sell the value of it and all that. And I think that he's gonna be moving up for this year. I think he's gonna do some truck racing and maybe even some Xfinity racing. I'm not sure, but there's rumors going on about who he might be with. So we'll be waiting on his plans. But again, you know, that's just one example. Marty Robbins from back in the 70s. I loved it when Marty ran NASCAR. Here he was, a country and Western singer. And again, he didn't have the best equipment, the best team, and the best. he wasn't driving for the Wood Brothers. He was a part-time racer. And, and the funny thing about Marty is, you know, if he was running Nashville, he, he would actually get out of the car halfway through the feature if that's what it took for him to to get to the Grand Ole Opry in time for his gig, you know, Mar- Marty. And, and again, I'm a I'm a little bigger fan of his music now than I was when I was a kid. I don't, you know, I I guess when you you know when you're a kid, you're always gravitating toward current. So you know, it, I was brought up on big band jazz and fifties and sixties and old country western, which included Marty to a degree. But you know, then I discovered Kiss and Rush and you know. <laughs> all the other stuff that was going on in, in the uh, early to mid seventies for, you know, rock and roll. And as a drummer, I loved all that. Right. So, uh, but I, but I'm a very big fan of Marty and, and, and his music now. And I, and just hearing stories about how racing was for him, but I just loved seeing him run. But there again, an example of somebody was doing it. Patrick, uh, not Patrick Swayze, Patrick Dempsey who used to play in Grey's Anatomy. I never watched the show, but I obviously he was a culture figure for a while, so I knew who he was. He got into racing, and again, he acted to race. He acted to help finance his ability to race. Um, so that's all over the sport. But that's what I got thinking about. And, and again, you think of even the non-racing side, Larry Trinka, loved Oswego and super modifieds and loved everything he ever did and still does. He loves it enough to put his own money up to take some of these older cars and restore them. And that's kind of where I tied this whole concept in together in my mind this week, hearing and reading some stuff about Frankie and the potential he has for next year. And I hope he, I hope he can. He, Look, he may never be a cup champion. He may never win a race. But he's doing everything he can to, and and, and it's not, you know, he doesn't get to ride on his name. I'm sure being Malcolm gets you somewhere, but, you know, it's not going to get you Penske. You're going to have to prove you can drive if you're going to get to Penske. Right. So, you know, and really get to that level where Roger Penske looks at you and goes, I want you. And he's 36. So really, how likely is that? And I'm sure he knows that. But you know what? He's going to do the very best he can because he loves it that much. Joe Hawksby loved it that much. Joey Jr. obviously found a different way. You know, the most successful car builder in the history of the Oswego Speedway. Wow. When Joey was in high school and was first starting to race, I don't think any of us 
that were a part of that team at that time would have ever saw that coming. Not to say we didn't think he was smart or whatever, but you, you, who could know? I mean, building a winning car is one thing. Being the most successful builder in the history of a racetrack that's been running since 1950-whatever, okay, 70 years plus, like, that's a pretty big deal. And Joey's earned it. He's built the cars. He's gained the knowledge. He's earned it. Everything he's gotten, he's earned. And now, Talon um, and Dawson following the footsteps. And um, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So, you know, just again, it just all reminded me that the thing I love most about the sport is the people and the passion the energy you cannot experience motorsports on TV. I don't care what it is as with the kind of raw experiential uh, thing that you have when you go and show up at the track. You just can't Uh, motorsports on TV has come a long way. Streaming has come a long way. It is not the same experience as being at the racetrack watching that race. So much of what makes racing special gets lost when you aren't there to hear the full brunt of the noise, to experience the smells, to be able to interact with the fans and the drivers having the racetrack food some tracks that's probably not a great experience unfortunately we know sometimes the track restrooms are not a great experience one of my biggest pet peeves um but i mean it's the passion and the energy and the people it's an experiential sport and and i just feel like on this show um we kind of get that sense through the interview with Joe Hawksby and also um, just thinking about folks like Larry Trinka and so many others that have put so much time into the sport over the years, never driven a lap. They don't get the recognition. They don't get spotlight. They don't get any kind of, you know, real reward other than their own personal satisfaction. And that to me is what makes motorsports special. On that note, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we are going to hear from the Colonel. Joe Hawksby as Inside Groove, episode 133 continues. Stay with us. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice-cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it. Served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else? In Oswego, can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's neighborhood bar and grill, LaGroff's Pub, 
187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on LaGroffs.com. Our guest of the week has arrived on the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. And, of course, uh, this segment being brought to you by IPC Indie, IndiePerformanceComposites.com. If you need anything made, Jeff West is the guy to do it. Go to their website at IPCIndie.com. And, okay, Joe Hawksby Sr., the colonel, is in the house on the groove and i gotta tell you i'm very excited to uh to sit down and talk with joe about his racing career and his story because uh i grew up and was just a kid when he started racing back in the 70s and um he and my dad worked at niagara mohawk not doing the same thing but uh knew each other and um so kind of fun just like jim gray and jim muldoon kind of a family connection there and uh i've always considered joe to be a great friend and um glad to have you on board joe it's uh, good to talk to you um, I want to dive right in here and just ask you, because I don't think I ever knew this, what uh, got you started in super modified <clears throat> racing at Oswego? Well, uh, I really probably, there's a, not a lot of people that know this, Tom, um, but when I was working in the line department back in the early 70s yep. in Oswego, as a lineman, I, you know, I worked with a lot of, I was young and most of the guys were older than I, I used to go to the races every week and a few of them did. And I said, man, I, I got a boy, I would love to try one of those things. That would be cool. It's got to be so easy. I see so many mistakes. Those guys are, <laughs> yeah. that I could do better from the stands and a gentleman by the name he's deceased. Now he's been gone for a couple of years. He was a good friend and a senior lineman by the name of Steve Baxter, he dared me to do it along with a couple other ones. And <laughs> so to do it. he dared me, he said, Oh, you <laughs> wouldn't do that. You don't have the, uh, guts to do it. We'll say, but, uh, and I said, Oh yeah. Okay. So that's how I got, that's how I started doing it. <laughs> you did it on a dare. That's uh... I did. Yeah. And here we are today. Now, I was trying to remember when we back in episode 122, when we uh, did the what's in the number and we talked about the number 22, I was trying to go back and remember um, whether or not your first car was the Roy Murphy car or you first drove Jimmy Muldoon 68. I know there was something um, in that in that area, but uh, walk us through. OK, you decide to go racing on a dare. You're going to show all your lineman buddies that you can you can go out and set a new track record. So um, what's your next step and how, you know, what did that look like? Well, I went from the stands uh, in 1976 to walking up and talking to Burt Pitcher, who had okay. the old Roy Murphy car, okay. and uh, got involved with him, and he asked me if I wanted to help him in the pits, basically going to getting fuel and pushing the car in the trailer and all that stuff because uh, – whatever and <laughs> and that's how i got started with bert i worked with him that whole year and okay at the end of that season he wanted to sell the car and uh unbeknownst to my wife i bought it so in <laughs> uh, 1977 i had my own had my own car and that's when we started racing and 
we actually changed the paint uh, to light blue, yep. and it was the light blue 22. Um, now, the, the the miracle out of all of this is you're still married. Oh, boy. After, <laughs> my, my wife is just a saint and a great lady because what she's put up with since 1977, even up until now at this point with uh, this is my second grandson racing. Yeah. And me racing and Joey racing, I mean, uh, she's fared pretty well. She's done a lot better than I have through it. <laughs> well, okay, so you start racing in 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 seventy seven. Um, I'm curious how long it took you uh, on the track in your first couple times, couple warm up sessions or whatever. How long did it take you to realize that all the knowledge that you gained from the grandstands was really not necessarily as easy and as applicable as you thought? Uh, probably a half a lap. <laughs> yeah. Um, being, you know, uh, not knowing anything about the motors. <laughs> you know, I was at the, at the mercy of a couple of good friends, Jimmy Muldoon yep. and uh, Ronnie McLeod. They helped me a great deal. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, I never made a feature my first year at Oswego, but that first year in 77, Fulton was racing the Supers with a wing on Sundays, yep. if you remember. Yep. And that was the only way for me to make any kind of money. Of course, uh, I, I was using everybody's tires that they threw away. Okay. And uh, competing with those guys at Oswego, especially with the Ford engine versus all the Chevys, it was uh, it was really difficult. I, it was it was hard, but I I really enjoyed being you know part of that group. I mean. The Chuck Sippridges, the Jimmy Champines, Nolan Swifts, Eddie Bellinger, Steve Joy. I mean, all the old timers are yeah. Bentley Warren, great, great racers. And just to, you know, talk to them and they say, oh, you're the guy with a new car. Yeah. And I mean, those guys were so nice to me. It was like I'd been one of them for years. So, I mean, it, it didn't take long for a for realization to sink into my head. <laughs> so you, you got to race Fulton with a wing and that had to be kind of, I, I thought back then, or I look back, uh, I, I was too young to understand, but looking back, back then the, the kind of versatility, I think that gave those drivers because you're running, you know, you're running Oswego without the wing one day and you're running Fulton with a wing the next, two entirely different tracks. What was that like for you to be able to go play twice a week and do it in sort of two different um, situations? Uh, it was, it was uh, for me, it was really good. I, I had an open trailer. Uh, we used to go to my mom's house for dinner on Sundays. So she would have dinner, you know, like at 1130 or so. And oh, wow. I would, I would change the gears out in the driveway Oh. And put rear end grease back in it and, uh, you know, kind of go through it a little bit. We didn't run that much, obviously, on Saturdays. Um, and <laughs> then we'd go to Fulton and race. I'd have to put the wing on it, put the Fulton, go to Fulton, which is just a little ways from our house yeah. in Fulton and uh, and race. And uh, I really enjoyed running that track. That was a better track for somebody like me to start on Why is than that? Oswego. Well, you had the wing for one thing. And, you know, the track was much, much smaller, but there's a ton of room in the corners. So if you mess up, you got a lot of room and no inside retaining wall. Ah, yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that was. Now, you, how long did you drive the, the Murphy car? Because that, I, the, you, you went from that to the, 
I, I was thinking that you drove the 68 car once or twice, um, but maybe did you go from the Murphy car to the, to the Corb car, the 37 car? No, I went to the first year on August 19th. We, uh, yeah, August 19th, 1977. I can remember it well. We went to Cayuga with the car okay, and ran it, and the motor ran much better on a longer track. And uh, unfortunately, me not knowing that much about something at that point, I didn't have a real good return spring or none on the fuel injection, and I had a stuck throttle all the way down the front straightaway oh. and really pummeled the wall hard with it, and that was pretty much the end of that car. Ah, okay. <laughs> okay. And then Jimmy Muldoon told me I could take his 68 car. There we go. Run it, run it the rest of the year, and if I wanted to buy it, I could buy it. So that's what we did. Okay, so then you got the 68 car. Now, that was the old Nick Virgo car. Yep, yep. 23, right, that Jimmy reworked. Yeah. And yep. uh, Ronnie had made a classic with it. And right. now you were in it. Um, so what was what was the difference between the two cars for you? Which one did you think was better and kind of which, you know, how, how, how was all of that? Well, the 68 car, the motor in that definitely was a lot better for a Swigo. Oh, okay. I mean, even though it was an older car, and I didn't know much at all about chassis. So, again, Jimmy helped me, and uh, I was healing up from a bunch of broken ribs and oh. some bad muscles in my back from that crash at Cayuga, which was only a couple of weeks before. So I tried to run it Classic Weekend, and I just couldn't you know, get my arms to go the right way, and I was just hurting. Oh. And that, that was back before the good seats we have now. Yeah. So I uh, – I got another old friend of mine, Daryl Peckham, to get in it and try and qualify it. And he he couldn't qualify it, but, uh, you know, at least we gave it a shot. And and that was pretty much the end of 77. <laughs> okay. So so you did drive both of those cars your first year. I was so technically, I guess I was right yep. both ways. Uh, but, the, yep. but the Murphy car was first. Um, and then you had the 68. So what happened to the 68 car after 77? I sold. I bought it from Jimmy and uh, actually sold it to Donnie Hass. Oh, that became racing. Don's first car. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And then you yep. ended up with the Corb car. Um, the thirty-seven. Back. Yes. Yes. I would have. I would have had that next. I bought that from Pat Murphy. Right. Okay. You were helping Pat, weren't you? Wasn't he keeping yeah. the car at your house or something? No, he just lives up. He lived up around the corner from oh, me, about okay. two or three miles away, and we would. I'd kind of help him and everything. Then he wanted to get rid of the car, and I, so I bought that one. Okay, you know, and uh, he helped me a little with it. Of course, Jimmy Muldoon again helped me with it, and um, we ended up. Uh, I think we ended up selling that one. I'm pretty sure we did, but the motor and everything actually belonged to Bill Marsh. Oh. So they wanted that motor back. It was a Buick engine. Uh, we, I gave them the motor back, and then we put a little Chevy in it. And we ran it for, uh, I think we ran it for two or three years. I think you did. And, you know, had some success, and it was some fun, and that was a little more learning, uh, you know, than what I'd had previously. But uh, then I, I I sold it to somebody, Tom, and I, it was somebody from out of state, I believe. Okay, I uh, you made your first classic in that car. Yes, I did. Yes, through time trials. Yes, yes. What was that like? Uh, that was amazing. That was uh, 
I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was probably the best lap I ever ran, but I get that was a year when everybody else was a little bit off, and I was just lucky I I wasn't. <laughs> but we still, I mean, we're off the pace of the leaders by a long way. But yeah, we made the classic, and that was uh, that was fantastic. We had to do it through heat <clears throat> heat race, and we were lucky enough to do it. My crew was, you know, they, they were jumping up and down. I still have a picture of my nephew Dirk and myself. Uh, him hugging me and picking me yeah. off the ground after we qualified. I have that right on my dresser right next to my pad. I see it every day. That's funny. I can visualize that in my head, that picture. Um, yeah. I thought you made it as the last qualifier through time trials, but you had you did have to run the wacky race. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, making it through time trials came a few years later. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that I mean, that was a great moment. And that's really, I mean, back in those days, especially when you were getting, you know, 50, 60 cars trying to qualify yes. for a classic, that's, yeah. that was incredible for you to be able to, 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 to put that car in the show, especially, you know, you were getting, you were kind of getting into the day when the offsets were starting to come in and all of that. Yeah. And so you were, you you had equipment through that whole period that was really a step behind what was yes. winning, right? I mean, you know, yes. you were having a lot of fun and just doing just just enjoying it and trying to learn. Yeah, absolutely. We were we were outdated and you know out out uh, machined by a lot, and definitely still some driver experience. A lot of those guys, you know, a lot more experience than I did, and a lot of them a lot more talent. So. Um, but we were happy with that. We had a lot of fun with that car. Okay, so um, so from that car, you you sold that car. Where did you? Because I feel like somewhere right about in this period of time, Mike Kapazinski enters your life. Yes, what I, he had a car that he had built, um, and it was out at Jimmy Ferlito's house with no motor in it. Oh, so I kept the motor out of the out of the car I sold there. And put it in that, and Mike agreed to come up, wanted to come and help me. He really wasn't involved with, he was involved with some different people, but uh, I don't think he'd ever build a car and anybody else drove it yet. But oh. uh, So I had that one, and we raced that one, and we had a lot of fun. And then from that point on, he, you know, just decided he was going to build another one and put me in it, and I could put the engine in it. And, you know, so it worked out really good. We did that for a couple, couple three cars. Yeah, you had um, you had a red one. I think the red one was the first one, wasn't it? Or you had a blue one. There were a couple of no, blue, it was ones, blue I think. Yeah, it, okay. It was blue. Uh, yeah, and somewhere in that time period, though, uh, Dave Lauchs, who I helped his first year racing, he passed away kind of suddenly, and I bought that was an old champagne car. I bought that car. Oh, you owned that car. Yeah, I bought that car. And, but that was uh, that kind of just sat till after I think I was uh, had finished with Mike. Yeah, okay. I didn't realize you owned that. I thought Dave bought it. No, that was the he when he had it. It was yellow. Yeah. And then when I bought it, um, we used a lot of the stuff off it, and uh, that was that brown car I had. Okay. <clears throat> the one that Bentley drove. So that was a little bit later on, you know. Yeah. Okay. So, what was it like racing with Capper? Because boy, he was a character. But I'll tell you what, he was he was very he had a very sort of innovative kind of mind. I thought, and he built some beautiful cars and certainly could paint like crazy. Yeah, it was. Uh, um, we had a lot of fun. I enjoyed 
racing with Mike and, you know, and I was actually racing with him when Danny was born. And so, I mean, we go way back, Jan and, and Danny, myself, Mike, uh, it was a, it was a lot of fun. And my son now, he, he looked at a couple of those cars he built kind of close in pictures. And he said, you know, dad, if he would have had a, a pocket full of money in a nice shop, he was kind of ahead of his time. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 And it, for Joey to say that, that was, you know, that was pretty cool. Yeah, very much. Yeah. That, I mean, you know, they were some really pretty cars and you guys, you guys definitely did run fairly well. Now you, how much yep. traveling did you do with, with, with Capper? Um, the, the only place we ever went, I think, you know, Tom was, uh, I think they had a race after they repaved the track at Cayuga. Okay. And it was a non-wing super race. Oh, wow. So we went up there. You know, here we are. We got open trailer and everything. Of course, back then, everybody didn't have an enclosed trailer anyway. But we went up there and ran, and the car ran pretty good. I, I'm pretty sure that was the 04 car. Okay. The one that was white and blue and yeah. orange. Yeah. That was a pretty neat car. That was pretty cool. Well, now, um, yeah, so you got to run at least a few different tracks early on. And, and uh, I mean, it must have been, you know, back then it was sort of like a traveling band of gypsies. Everybody just yes. sort of went. I mean, it, yeah. it, it isn't like it is now where you don't no. have that many and it's so expensive. Back then, <clears throat> you know, you could just hook hook your thing up and, and, and go. And everybody yep. was kind of like a social event. It was. Yeah, it was like a big family. Yeah. Very much so. Everybody helped everybody and... You know, it, it was really neat. It really was. So, um, you you ended up uh, you ended up with. I remember you had a car with Dave that I I I didn't. I thought was uh, it was beautiful yellow car. I thought that was yep. maybe an old uh, a capper car, perhaps. Or did you guys build that? And that was the last car I think Dave drove. Uh, no, that was a that was a champagne car that Dave Logs had. Oh, okay. I thought, champagne car, okay. yeah. I thought there was another car as well that you guys drove after the champagne car because the wedge actually, um, the wedge I think uh, was the first car that Dave drove. It was orange at one point, um, and he had got. I thought he had gotten that from Tom Holly, but um, but I may be wrong about that. Well, he may have got that from Tom Holly, but I believe it was it was a champagne car. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was the wedge. Yeah, right. Was, yep, right. the roadster. Right. So, yep. so then it, it it kind of got to a point. You you had that brown car for for a, for a good bit, and you started. That was when I feel like you really started to run better. Was in that car in the mid, say the mid eighties or so. Yeah, that was that was the champagne car. That was the car. Yeah, that he got from Tom Holly. That I told you I bought all the. But all he had left of it uh, after he passed away um, from his wife, Patty. Uh-huh. And uh, then Dave Killian, myself, Wayne DeGroff, uh, we we kind of went through it, changed a few things, and turned out being the brown car, the brown two. And and that really that was the that was the car that you like you talked about Bentley got in that one night yep. when I don't yep. know it was a sixty one or whatever he was driving was broke and uh, he jumped in it went out <clears> and finished in the top ten <throat> with the car but you really that was when I think you started to really figure things out it felt like yeah I, I had some I had some pretty good people working with me at that point in time like I said Dave Killian uh, real smart guy he was doing all our started 
doing all the motors and uh-huh. I. And Wayne DeGroff, of course, he was with yep. me from way, way back, uh, right after my first car. And uh, those two guys, they just were right at it. And between the three of us, we could figure a lot of things out. And, yeah, the brown car worked pretty well for us. We were, you know, we did good. Uh, best finish we ever had to feature with that was seventh, and that was in a Port City race. Okay. One of the old Port City races, it was seventh. Uh, I don't know that we won any heat races or concies with it, but, you know, that was the best feature finish that I remember. That was, um, and that had to be an interesting kind of period for you as a driver because <clears throat> the by then, um, of course, the offsets were totally in, and you were kind of, caught up in a way i don't know that you necessarily maybe still had the budget that that you know the top teams did but you got you were able to be competitive but that was that was an extremely um tight field of cars back then and to be able to finish seventh had to just feel great for you it did and uh uh that was uh 1988 i do believe okay um yeah that 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 was uh we changed that around so that was an offset car yeah, with the motor with the motor hanging out where everybody thought it was gonna fall off when Champagne yeah. first came out with it, yeah. but uh, it, we changed it around the the three of us and and made it work. But uh, yeah, the field was still you know really really tight. A lot of good a lot of good competitors, great drivers, a uh, lot of money and motors. That was before they had any motor rules, and, you know. And I couldn't compete with that. I wasn't even gonna try. But I always. I always used my overtime from work as a lineman, and that's what I used to race on. I never dug into my weekly money to feed my kids or anything, and and just did it on overtime. And you know, a few, you know, maybe five, six hundred dollars in sponsor for a year, and uh, just kept plugging that way. Now, had a lot of fun. Now you'd been racing about uh, ten years or so by then. How many of your uh, lineman doubting Thomases actually pitched in to buy tires? <clears throat> <laughs> uh, actually, I think at one one time, uh, one they took up a collection. And <laughs> I think they gave me a hundred dollars towards fuel or something. But there you I, go. I thought, which which was really appreciated. And two or three of them used to come to the races, you know, three four times a year. Yeah. So. so they figured out you definitely had the stones to do it, and you had yeah. the, you had the uh, the drive to stick with it, and uh, yeah. and so they the, the the same ones that were daring you are are now watching you and uh, throwing ten yep. bucks and a hat for fuel. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a pretty funny story, and and so you know we're and now I mean you 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 ran that car, and at one point you had an old you had Kemp Dates last car I thought that you drove a little bit, um, and you had kind of a two car team. Because I remember Wayne getting in the, what was then the red car, but it was a brown yep. car. It was the brown car, originally. Yep, yep, exactly. That was uh, Timmy DeWine had bought uh, one of the old Dates cars, and uh, we we teamed up with him and just kept our car for a spare. Actually, painted it the the maroon color yep. that that Timmy had his. His car was looked really nice and everything, and I drove that, and you know, I just I just couldn't make it go. I don't know. It was probably more me than the car, but uh, it didn't go the way I thought it would go. So we ran it for a year, and you know, and then he took it back. So then you you ended up um, back in the back in the other car again. But it it there was at that point. Um, I feel like somewhere you you got the first 
I think it was a Graves car, maybe or a Jeff West car. That <clears throat> uh, it was the first really good car that you that you had. Yeah, it was. Uh, I bought the frame from Gary Morton. There we go. We, yeah, yeah. Wayne and I went up and got it in Canada. It was a lot easier to do that then than it is now. Yeah. And brought it back and put most of the running gear on it from the brown cars. Then sold the frame and stuff of the brown car from some oh. some guy from Ohio or something. Oh wow! Okay. And uh, we, uh, of course, with that car they had at least spring, which we knew absolutely nothing about because it was a Graves car. And uh, that's the one that was the bonsai blue color that I caught Bobby Smith's right rear wheel and flipped going in the first corner there and and pretty much demolished that one, if you remember. Oh, that was, was that the same flip when uh, Scotty's cage, Scotty Lander's cage? No. Came? No? no. Okay. No, that was another one. No. Okay. Yeah. That was I, another one. Oh, okay. I don't remember that first one. I do remember the second one though. Cause I was st- staring at it. Uh, yeah. In the pit yeah. staring at it. Uh, but, but the, okay. So, well, the, the, then you, you, once you demolish that car, <clears throat> what did, did you end up was, was there something in between that car and the, and the car that became sort of the white car that you finished with and Joey started with, or was that the next car you had? That was the next car, and that was one that uh, Jeff West, myself, and Mike Satursky built out in Jeff's shop. Okay. Built the frame, bumpers, and nerf bars, and then uh, we uh, put it together again with a leaf spring. But that was that was a good car, and I mean that car's still running. I don't believe it has a leaf spring anymore, but that's the one that Pat Strong has now that Joey Payne uh, qualified oh, for the classic. Okay. No yeah. kidding. Wow. Yeah, it's got a lot of been around that racetrack a lot of times they had a lot of changes to it but you can always tell because the roll cage is three or four inches higher than any other one out there and i we had westy make it like that so i had a lot of headroom in case i flipped okay yeah that's that's kind of one of those um uh mind theories isn't it where you 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 know yep. you, you say well in case we flip and then it happens and you go well maybe we shouldn't <clears> have thought about that before <laughs> we kind of like well, brought it in you know true and i i ran that for you know what a few years and then i was in a bad car accident oh. out on the track uh in 1996 and i couldn't drive anymore the rest of that year because my knee was smashed up pretty bad. Oh, and okay. That's when we uh, had our good friend, Pat Abel, who was a good friend of ours for many years, still is, suggested we put a, one of his buddies in there. His name was Dave, Dave Heitz House. yes. And okay. he ran it in the Classic and was going really well, and something happened to the motor in it. Yeah, so that he, was, I remember him driving that. Boy, he was a rocket ship in that car, and you he, came within a lap. Or two of winning a feature in that car, wasn't it? That yeah, one? yeah. He was he was quick. He ran it the week before Classic, and then he ran it in the Classic, and and he was right up there in the Classic. He would have been a yeah. He would have been a source to reckon with at the end, but something happened to the motor, and there was oil coming out of the out of a couple of the stacks or yeah. something. I think it was, but that was a great race car. I mean, we we had a lot of fun with that car. I flipped it. Uh, Joey didn't flip that one, but he bashed it up pretty bad <laughs> when he ran it. But, yeah, I remember uh, those. You days. know that was that was a good car, and and that was the first car actually. The last year I ran it in '96, that was when it was white, real nice looking white yep. with the purple and orange yellow twos on it. Yep. The chrome, the chromed headers, and 
That was the first one. Joey Joey built a body for that. So that was like oh, he his did. I didn't first know that. body attempt in 96. Yeah, he just started, just uh, grabbed a bunch of sheet metal one day in the garage and started hacking it up. And that's how it turned out, and it turned out pretty good. Boy, it did. I had so, no idea he built the body because that was on the car when yep. he started in 97. Yep. Yeah, he, yep. he built the body, and he designed the front nose wing and put it on there. Of course, we didn't have rear wings or anything right. yet, but uh, just a regular tail. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's where he got his start doing bodies. I didn't know that. Now, I got to go back a minute, though, because I want to know, was it in that car or was it in the blue car that you had that you, because you led almost an entire feature at one point, and I think it was Westy that got that maybe on a restart or something. You were so close to winning one night. I thought I remember that. Am I dreaming? Uh, I think it was Joey. I don't think it was me. Oh, okay. I think it was Joey when he had first come out with this new design similar to Clyde Booth's car. That was, uh, well, I know yeah. he had one of those. I just thought, I thought that there was a night that you led a, a good bit of the feature too. And then, uh, I think, uh, maybe 15, 15 or 20 laps. Okay. And then on a restart, I think Steve Joya got me actually. Okay. And then once they shoved me to the outside, I got freight trains. So, ah, okay. That was it. That was it. Okay. Gotcha. Well, you, you, um, you definitely had, I mean, you had a fun career, and you you are are you satisfied with when you look back? Are you satisfied with your driving part of it? I mean, I know you you obviously would like to won features and classics and championships. Everybody wants that, but I mean, I I you had to re- realize, especially early in your career, that your equipment just wasn't what it needed to be. But you could have fun and enjoy it and and have a good time with it. Right? Yeah, I I really did. I had fun and. Uh... And make and part of the fun was the guys working with us in the garage, at my house, you yeah. know, at night. And I knew I could count on them. That's the key, you know. If something broke at the racetrack, I broke a spindle or something. I know between Wayne and Dave, they could uh, they could certainly fix about anything on that car. And of course, Donnie Wilcox was my fuel guy from that point oh, on. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He did it. We called him Stick, of course. Yep. Yep. And uh, actually, David Halstead did the tires on it. Yep. Um, was my tire guy. And, I mean, we, we had a good group of guys there. They were, you know, they were serious. But, you know, if things didn't go well, you know, okay, we'll, we'll go home and see what we got. And we'll try again next week. So they never gave up. And it's hard for the driver to give up if you got a crew like that. Well, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you did yeah. have a good bunch of guys. When you, yeah. when you look back at, at the drivers that you raced against, who kind of stands out for you is maybe you keep mentioning, you kept mentioning Jimmy Muldoon and I know that there was, you know, a great relationship there. Not only did you work at again, another NIMO deal. Now it, back then I feel like half the drivers worked at NIMO. Now it's the, the plants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, but, but you, who are, who are the drivers that you really uh, kind of looked up to or what, you know, what are some of your thoughts or stories or just thinking about those days? Well, I, I'd have to say the regulars that ran there, oh, getting towards the mid, three quarters to the end of my career, Steve Joya and Eddie Bellinger uh, stand out. And uh, there was certainly one time that uh, I know both of them remember. It was in the feature. There was a, uh, I don't know, a crash way up between the first and second turn. And Eddie Bellinger and Steve Joya kind of spun to avoid it. Uh, both of them were like nose to nose, and uh, I was probably about um, 15 car lengths behind them, 10 car lengths, and 
just the caution just come out, and I saw there was what looked like there was no room to get through there. I was going to hit one of them, and I said, well, we'll see how wide this car is. And <laughs> I, I somehow, I don't know how to this day, I put it between the two of them, their two noses. Oh, and, wow. And uh, and they both said after the race, boy, Joel, it was a good move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thank said, you, yep, right? Saved you a lot of money and me a lot of money. But uh, Thanks, uh, that was back when that white car is when I uh, uh, I met Bill Connor, who was ended up being a crew chief after Dave decided to take some time off and stuff. And he was a, a huge asset to us. Uh, he just passed away here a little over a year oh, ago. Okay. And uh, great guy. He was over every night in the garage. He was a he was a mechanic up in Syracuse for for Nimo. And so obviously he was a good mechanic. There was nothing he could fix. Okay. And uh, you know, he could take care of the motor also and everything. And he worked with me right up till uh, the end and into when Joey was racing. So I think I remember, Bill. Yes. Okay. Yeah. From yeah, that first yeah. year. Um, yeah. And now, all right. So we get to the end of 96 and at, um, cause I don't quite remember how all this came together, but at some point um, y- y- the decision was made that, that Joey would, would start driving. And he had, he had not, if, if I remember correctly, I don't think he'd raced anything before that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, he, he'd never raced anything, and what happened was uh, at the end of that year, I decided, you know, for me it wasn't any fun anymore. Uh-huh. I, uh, you know, it was just getting to be on a Saturday morning, oh, man, i got to get up and get the car. we got to go to the race. Oh, boy. And at that point I knew, you know, if if you're like that, then you're, you're really not going to be on your toes and, yeah. and want to, you know, the, the, the drive is not there anymore. and. Uh, so I told my wife, I said, we're going to sell a car at the end of the season. Somebody will buy it. You know, we'll get what we can get for it. And at that point in time, we didn't have our own motors anymore. Uh, we had the guy down in Elmira, Bob Stapleton, was building them for us. Oh, And he okay. was building us some pretty good motors in 95, 96, you know. And uh, so I decided we're going to sell the car. And then all of a sudden, Joey pops up and says, uh, I want to drive it. So uh, I said, you better go in and talk to your mother. I was going to say, how does this conversation go with Lynn? Because uh, she's already dealt with you all this time, and now you, you somehow she's going to have to deal with her son racing when he's never driven yeah. before. No, I know. So uh, she she said, okay. I don't remember. I think there was quite a bit of discussion. but I bet. Uh, Joey, Joey pled his case, and he won. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have won. So. But that's when he took over and uh, – Started racing in '97. Yeah, he it was, was a fun. senior in high school. Yep, yes. I remember that because I was yep. I was with you guys at that point, and and yep. uh, Polly Coloco was yep. was yep. part of it. And that was a, a good bunch. Ray uh, Dillamaw. I mean, we had a, yep. that was that was a good bunch of, of people, and that was a fun <clears throat> year watching him kind of grow into his yes. feet a little bit sure. while he was still sure in was. high school playing football. Yeah, sure was. Well, he he quit the football the year before. What I told you, he wanted to start building the bodies. Uh-huh. I asked him, uh, how come you're not at football practice? I ain't playing no more. Oh, okay. Well, he says, I want to work on a race car. Okay. So that's <laughs> so that started that. So he had us, at least he knew quite a bit about it before he jumped in it. For sure. So it was a good thing. And uh, like you said, Ray Dillabaugh, who now lives in Florida, we got him on as our tire man. And, of course, Aaron Green. 
if you remember That's Aaron. Right? Yeah. He helped us. He helped us also. Uh, and like you said, Polly, myself, uh, Billy, Wayne DeGroff, you know, and uh, yeah, he, we had fun. He did pretty well, but he he drove it for what that one year or was I don't know if it was. No, I think he drove it that one year and that winter. He decided he was going to build a new car. Yeah. So uh, he had gone to Bosey's, you know, for two years. And he was a good welder, and they put a couple of those cars together that weren't the weren't the push rod suspension that were still, you know, shocks on the front axle and so on. And they were really good cars. He ran good with them and uh, destroyed a couple of them. But uh, I think that two, right up there in the late '90s, early 2000s. We ran Isbo, so that was a that was a big thing for him. But no, he progressed really well. He had a lot of bad luck up in the wrong place at the right time. Yeah, like a, like his dad did, and uh, <laughs> and he uh, you know he did well. He did good. Yeah, he had a good career. And again, he was I forget who ended up passing him late, but he he had that one race where he led uh, like thirty nine or forty laps out of forty five or something like that, and. Uh, and and then didn't quite get there, but um, definitely a good driving career. I think the the highlight for me with with Joey actually didn't even come in his own car. I think the year he drove for Jeff Carson in the Classic and yeah. finished eleventh was was like yep. there. That's you know yep. that's a that's a moment right there. That was a good car too. Yeah, yeah, old Shea car. Yep. Now let's talk some tracks here because I know you did some traveling eventually um, as a driver. I think didn't you go to Flemington? I went to Flemington and raced there, yeah, and I had raced at Thompson a couple, three times. How scary uh, was Thompson? Um, well, you know, it's kind of weird because to me, like the, like our kids coming from the quarter midgets that go into the, to the 350s, yeah. you know, the speed's relevant per size of the track. Right. Now, the thing about Thompson is the straightaways are so long. At the end of the straightaway, you know, the air and stuff is just kind of pushing your head all around and everything oh, wow. until you let off. But, you know, those straightaways are gigunda, and the corners are banked such that you can really, you know, when you get off the power, you can get back on it real quick yeah. and, and don't really use the brakes unless you're in traffic. So that was, that for me was, I really liked that. That was cool. And I like Flemington too. I think we raced there twice. We were there for the inaugural Super Bonifieds there when, yeah. uh, AJ Foyt was there handing yep. out to, and introducing the drivers and so on. It was kind of cool meeting him, you know. But uh, very, very tough track to run. Very abrasive. You know, tore the tires up, if you remember. It was a square, basically, wasn't it? Yeah, I could never figure out <laughs> where you were. Going, yeah. If I was, yeah, if I was going straight or if I was turning. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it, it's kind of like two straightaways and then two short straightaways, you know? Yeah, it was, a, it was a strange configuration, but boy, it produced a couple of really great races while it was still pavement. Yeah, it was fast, really fast. I wish they hadn't gotten rid of that. Did you have a favorite track besides the Swiggle? Like when you, I mean, you ran, I mean, you probably ran Spencer, I would imagine, a time or two maybe, or <clears> some <throat> of the other New York tracks that used to run? Well, I ran Tops, or I ran Thompson, Flemington, Cayuga. I would have to say probably... Where I wrecked a Cuga, I like that track, but uh, I, I think Thompson was my favorite run one to run with a wig because okay. uh, back towards the end of the career, my career, I had uh, a, a Stapleton engine, so I didn't have to worry about that blowing up. 
and it would, uh, you know, it really pulled. And that was with that white car. And uh, we had a lot of fun down there. We ran pretty well. Yeah, that was, uh, those were some great days. Thompson, that season-ending show at Thompson was always, um, yeah. you know, a big, big event just to go yeah. to and be a part of. But For sure. Um, okay, so, you know, you you uh, you retire, Joey gets the car. He has a good driving career and learns a ton. And, and I mean, obviously, at that point, you, you couldn't have known how um, prominent Joey was going to be in the future of a swing of super modified racing. But, right. Um, you know, but once he started building the cars, and of course the arrow came in, what are what are your thoughts on on all of that? Like that had to be sort of like, wow, what's this now? Because you lived through the radical offset, the band of the rear engine car, the whole right. you know sort of, and now all of a sudden we're doing this other thing again. Um, you know, from the standpoint of you just as a fan and a driver, what was your uh, take on on sort of that whole recent conversion? Well, it was uh, what he did, um, putting the shocks inside and having a push rod suspension in the front with the front axle, not in the pendant back at that time, and the inboard shocks and transfer tubes and stuff in the back. Uh, that that was pretty cool. I mean, he, he, he had a little bit of help. He talked to some people, but when he built it, you know, we didn't know how good it was going to go. And and right when he got going there, it was a rocket ship. It was way above the rest of them. And I remember Timmy Guru saying, we're racing Class B cars compared to that thing. And he that was uh, he ran really good and was leading the feature. I think that's what you remember. Yeah. He came up on a lap, on a lap car, and it was Vern LaFave. And uh, Vern didn't really want to move over. He was running his groove, no big deal. But, sure. Uh, once Joey got up next to him, he kind of banged wheels with him, and and Joey's right rear hit the outside oh, wall. Oh, okay. And he was, you know, he was putting a lap on him at that point in time. And uh, what happened was that the right rear wheel started to loosen up, so he went from running sixteen eight to eighteen eight. Oh boy! And Joe Gozik ended up winning the race. Gozik, okay. And Gozik couldn't understand where Joey went because he was gone and. And he ended up finishing fourth, I think, anyway, or fifth. But uh, that's what happened. And, of course, that year is uh, – that's when, uh, after that, Greg Furlong and uh, Timmy Schneider both wanted a car. Okay. So that's what really kind of launched his building career right there was yeah. that. Yeah. 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 yeah, good runs. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh well, and of course, you know, now he, you know, obviously Paulie's done a great job with the extreme cars, and there's been a few others that do their own, like Kowoka, and you know, and that's it. But obviously, Joey is is the preeminent and has built most of the cars um, that race there. What's it been like <clears throat> for you as a father and a former racer to see all of this happen for Joey now? As you look back across the whole picture of it, um, you know. To, to see this and and you know he's got the big shop he got the bus garage which uh you know all of that like joey has done really well for himself oh yeah he's he's done a really good job we're we're all really proud of him uh you know he he's very 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 meticulous yeah uh he'll he'll draw things up on autocad and everything and actually look at how they work and make sure it's right before he builds it um, that's been the key to him, you know, changing with the times. Because as you remember, after that first car and and uh, Greg and 
Timmy Snyder, all three of them had one of those cars one year. Yep. Uh, they changed the rules. They t- made him take some of the wings out of the tail and this and that to try and even up the field. And there's a lot of drivers that were, you know, obviously couldn't keep up anymore. So, you know, the arrow was, was a big thing. So he had to make changes with the arrow and uh, to take air, air help away from it. But he made it up with mechanical drive, and that was where he, you know, he, that was his thing. He's really good with that mechanical stuff and the arrow. So that was huge, and we are really, really proud of him, you know, to get where he's got and where he is now, you know. And he, he's an old man now. He's 44. So, 44? You know, <laughs> yeah. He's been doing this since he was 18. So. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that. Like I, I said, I think even on the, the show with Talon, it's, it's just it's hard for me to call Joey dad. Like it just, he, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem right, but he, you know, too, uh, obviously, um, very well mannered and, and respectful and talented young racers. Um, you know, at, at what point in, let's talk about sort of your, uh, uh, part of this with like, at what point, um, does Talon, uh, did, did he say, dad, I want to start driving quarters. I mean, we, we heard it from him. I want to kind of hear your, your version of how all this started. Was this just sort of destiny that he was going to carry on the family name? Uh, yeah, I think so. Part, part wise. Uh, but, uh, I remember Joey buying a quarter midget with a motor in it. that was, uh, needed to be freshened and stuff. And we didn't know anything about those things, but yeah. I think he only paid like 1500 bucks for it. Oh, wow. And it's actually still racing out there. Chris Lupe has it. Interesting. With one of his kids. Okay. Yeah, it was a Stanley. And Talon tried it, and we went up and practiced and so on, and uh, he liked it. So, you know, we, he ran, we ran it for one season, and then the uh, Sokolics sold out. They were racing, and they had two bull riders, and we bought both of those. Okay. And so now we had three. So Talon, <laughs> Talon was running two or three classes the following year. Wow. And he progressed really well. And then it was only like a year later Dawson wanted to start racing. So we were lucky we had three cars. And that's the way it went. But uh, they both took to it. They both liked it. And, you know, had a lot of support from my family and uh, and their other grandparents and aunts and, and so on. And their mom uh we're at the quarter midget track all the time, helping scraping tires and everything. So once it got that far and they liked it, then uh, of course they would be going to a swiggle every Saturday night. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure their little wheels and their heads were turning at that point. Uh, you know, maybe, Hey dad, can, uh, can you build me one of them? You build him one. <laughs> yeah, <you know>? really. <laughs> uh, but I think that's, that's pretty much the way it went. Well, so um, now you have two grandkids. I'm curious now, how is Grandma Lynn with grandkids racing after all of this? <laughs> <clears throat> well, like I said, she's uh, she's been pretty good through all of it. She kind of gives me a dirty look sometimes when I say, hey, uh, you know, such and such, such and such. She goes, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. Well, no, because actually my uh, one of my older grandsons, Alex, McCray, we had a oh, limited right. that yes, we bought that's from right. Grew, yep. and he ran for three years. So that was that's uh, Amber's. Yeah, yeah, Amber Sean. Yes, yep. Okay. We had a we we had a lot of fun for three years, but I told him, you know, at that point in time, there was a super for sale, and 
and I'll buy it if he wanted to drive it. And it was one of Joey's old cars. Okay. And he said, nah, I talked to my dad. Uh, we, we just as soon sell the car. I, I, I'm going to race those uh, micro sprits or whatever they are. Oh, okay. So the dirt. Sure. He, yeah, he, we sold the car, and and he, they bought a micro sprit, and they ran that for a year and stuff on dirt at Paradise. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, then after that, I think it just wore off. He did. He was, he really wasn't that much into it anymore. So, yeah. and that's cool. You know, he was big in sports in school, and of course, Talon and Dawson are too, but we had a lot of fun with Alex, and I thought he was a, I thought he was a really good driver and a real clean driver. Yeah, you know, I wondered that, what happened to him, because uh, he kind of just, now I know, he just went microsport racing, but um, yeah, they, they, it seemed like that was going to be a, a thing, that he would move <laughs> up at some point, but now you got, obviously, Talon in the 350 car, which that car, I remember you said something to my and I think I've even set, told this story on the show before that um you know when when my when dad was was janitoring uh to yep. close his career and you made a remark to my mother about he would make somebody a good wife you could eat off the men's room floor when I when I yeah. when I which was if you only understood at home what that was like um he would <laughs> he would straighten two shoes in the corner you know it was it yeah. was but yeah. um but anyways uh when I look at that that 350 and really any of the cars that Joey's built, I I, I think of that comment because it's like you can eat off the front end of the car. It's yeah, just beautiful. Yeah. yeah, he does a good job. He, he works really hard. And, you know, every like I told you, everything is precise. Yep. It's it's not close enough. We can make it work. It's precise. That's why I think he's had uh, such a good track record. His cars have won more main events, feature events in a Swiggle Speedway. Than any other designer builder, yeah. including Champagne or or Dates or Howard Page or Conkey or anybody, and he passed Champagne like I think three years ago. So yeah. he's up around 100, 140 wins or something like that with his cars. You know, with classics and oh, of course, Mister Super Bonafide. Not to not to talk about track championships and stuff, but uh, you know, he, he he's very 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 precise and. You know, anything he does has to be right. It's kind of interesting because I feel like in a, in a, I feel like in a way, and I'm anxious to talk to him about this when we get him on, but I, I feel like in a way it's almost um, like a, a, he's, he's painted himself into a bit of a corner. And I say that because um, there's, there's obviously a, a point where, you know, in your life where you kind of want to be dad and you, and you got your teaching and your, and, and, you know, how long do you want to keep building all these cars? And, but yet as soon as he goes away, I feel like who's going to build cars anymore to Swigo. And then now he's got the kids running. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, um, I, I don't want to, the thing that pops into my mind is life sentence, but it's almost like there's no way you can slow down or stop now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. And, uh, I'm sure he'll probably build a few more cars, but I, I'm pretty sure he's not going to build uh, any supers this winter. Oh wow! Um, okay. I know he's going to do some work for Sorrells on their old car, which was the first one that Michael had that he won a track championship with. Oh, uh, they're going to change that around a little bit so uh, they could use it for an Isma car. Okay. So that the the last super that he built was the Michael Bard's car. That's what the I one thought. He yeah. Ran the feature, yeah. and that is probably. 
that and the Otto Sitterly car are probably the two two best ones he's built. You know, maybe a little bit of change in here and there, but uh, those are the two fastest, obviously. Yeah. When they tied trial, you know that, you know the uh, they're really quick. But I know he's got the. We're hoping that 350 class, of course, is gonna is gonna grow some more around here. I hopefully. hope so. I he needs yeah. he needs to to build some cars for that. That's um because that's uh I feel like that's a great class and it's affordable. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope it does. I'd like to see 20 of those things a week. If you can do that and you get 15 to 20 big blocks and hang in there, I think you're doing fine. Um, I know eventually there'll be another big block super or two coming off the line down the road at some point. Uh, cause I'm sure Talon and eventually Dawson are going to both end up, uh, end up there. But, um, that was the other thing I was going to ask you about is, can you believe the speeds? I mean, when you started, what was it? 18, seven or whatever was a great speed. And now all of a sudden we're, we're at, uh, you know, 15, four, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah. And, and that's super fast for the big blocks. And, uh, of course the, the three fifties, are running in the very low 17s yeah. in the high 60s with 400 less horsepower and real Darrell tires. I mean, they have a wing, but still, uh, you know, that's kind of remarkable when you think about it. That's really quick. Well, it is, and that's why I've always said, you know, I mean, it's it's tough because, you know, you got your traditionalists, and everybody goes, well, we can't change the size of the tires or change the motor or whatever. It's like, well, you built a 350 class. Look at that, and look at the competition in that for the cost. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, I feel like at some point reality is going to set in here, but, um, you know, but you, um, you, you, you've got to be proud of both uh talon and dawson and and they 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 seem to be great kids they work on the cars and you know they're they seem you know as as eager and involved as as joey was at, at, at their age well they are but uh of course being in high school they they've got a lot of things going on talon's a junior and dawson just started he's a freshman okay uh you know they both play hockey and they both play uh lacrosse in the spring so Hockey takes up a lot of time in sure. the winter. You have to take them to practice once or twice a week. And then uh, actually Dawson's on the travel team. So oh. every couple of weeks they travel. And the first one was in Pittsburgh. So, you know, that's uh, that gets to be expensive too, you know, motels and all that. But, yep. uh, but they're good kids. And, you know, the kids they hang around with are actually two of them that work on a car, on Talent's car. Logan and Cam, and they both play hockey too. So Joey knows their parents, and, uh, you know, they're good kids. So as long as we can keep them occupied with this stuff, we'll be, we'll be good. It's kind of, kind of interesting. Uh, Cal had just got his driver's license, uh, Uh a couple weeks ago, and Joey let him take his truck last night to, to, uh, that senior night or whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, homecoming, homecoming night or something. Yeah. To, yeah. So that was, that was pretty cool. And I'm thinking, Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he knows enough to, when you're going to race, it's out of the track, not on the street. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what's, that's what's funny is everybody makes jokes about kids like Talon because they race and then it's like, hey, the stop sign's on the right, the brake's on the left in this car. Yep. You know, but, yep. but really, as you say, a lot of those kids, they know what it's like to go fast and, and a lot of them also know what it's like to have a crash from the, from the race car, you know, whether right. it's quarter midgets or whatever. So when you get in the passenger car, 
you have a different mentality about than somebody yeah. who's never raced because they're they don't exactly. have the outlet to go right. do their speed stuff correctly, right? <clears throat> exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. With the you know, they, they realize with a passenger car they don't have that six point harness. That's right. And uh, you know, a poured seat and all this equipment on to keep them safe. And the car, of course, the race car is built a lot safer than a than a road car, right? Um, you know, to take an impact and, and crush and so on, right? And and they know that, so you know, they hopefully they'll continue to realize that the place to race is on the track. That's for sure. It's it's really amazing. Uh, three generations of Hawksby's. Um, yeah, it is. It's been forty seven years since I've been <laughs> doing this stuff and. Uh, I certainly would like to see a Hawksby and Victory Lane in the future before I pass that. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. What's in a number? 33 is the uh, number that we're talking about this week. This is a number that I feel like now... I'm going to go back. Now, I started going in 1973, but I think a year or two before, there was a 33 car that I think turned into the original Tommy Lisa 97, and I think Tommy might have driven it. I don't remember who the owner was of that car that I'm thinking of, but I believe that George Boss was one of the drivers in it. So I'm going to say this would have been somewhere between 70 and 72, maybe. Um, George, and, and, and the reason that sticks out to me is because I remember George when, after Baldy Baker uh, got out of the six car, the Hagen Howard six car for the second time, George Boss was the second driver in it. Rick Rivette, and I have no clue who Rick was, but I, but again, the name, I just remember the name for whatever reason. Rick got in it and drove it for a, a very short time. And then George Boss got in the car. I think it was George who tried to qualify it for the classic, whatever year that would have been, maybe 75 perhaps 76, somewhere in there, 75, maybe. Um, and I don't think he made it in the show, but he might have. He might have gotten in through the the heat races. Um, 
And uh, George, I think, was in this 33 car. And I, and I, I think it ended up, I think Tommy might have gotten in it as the 33 maybe and then it ended up being his 97 i think and i'm sure somebody larry trinker or somebody will remember this car that i'm talking about if it existed somebody will remember it Uh, i'm pretty sure of it um the first 33 that i remember and 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 i again i'm i'm trying to piece this together out of my head because I think that the first 33 I remember is um, was a guy named Mike Cronin. Now, Mike bought, and when we did episode 125 and we talked about the number 25, Mike's name came up, Mike bought the Doug Duncan rear engine car when um, Doug sold it. That was a car John Spencer won his feature in. They, I think... This would have been either 73 or 74 that Mike Cronin came out. And I think when he came out, he was number 33. And then I believe the way this went is that the 30, the, the next 33 that I'm, that I'm going to talk about probably registered the number first or established it first by showing up before Mike did one year. And Mike had to change his then. And I think he went to 25. I think that's how this worked. Paul Strasser is the 33, the next 33 that I remember. And both of these two, Mike Cronin and Paul Strasser, would have been within a couple of years. A year, maybe even the same year. Um, But certainly within a year or two of each other in their debut. Um, Paul was a Midwest driver, had a Holinsky car, and I don't know what car. Um, I don't remember what car, what Holinsky car. Maybe Dan Holinsky could or somebody could shed some light. Um, but I know he had, I know it was a Holinsky car and it was yellow at first when he had it. Then, um, let me see. It was, he, he had a bad wreck. I think with it flipped it, I think. And, and, uh, and it came back as a Brown car and still had some yellow, but I think yellow was the accent then the accent color instead of the main color. And Paul ran for maybe, you know, two, three years, I think, was all he, all he ran for. Uh, he was an older gentleman, as I recall. I don't know exactly how old, but I think he'd been around a while out in the Midwest. And he was a great guy. Nice and a good driver, too, I thought. I mean, you know, it was one of those where you look and you think, well, he's, you know, he's probably getting the most out of the car, right? Um, but I thought he was a pretty good racer, and... um he had a couple bad spills, I think. One of them, I think he hurt his nose or something pretty bad. He had an injury of some sort. But those were the first two 33s. And then I think the next one, if my memory is correct, I think Joe Chalemi started his 33. And that would have been, I think he had a capper car. And... He he had that for, I don't know how long. It seems like maybe a couple years, but it, it, it may have only been one. I don't know. Uh, but it, I think he had that for, for uh, well, either one or two years. And I think there was a bad wreck on the dirt at Syracuse that he had with that car, I think. And then he ended up buying a, another car. And I don't remember what the next car was that he had, but it was a better car. 
um, just in terms of how well it ran for whatever reason. And I don't want to, I don't mean that to insult Mike Kapazinski at all. Um, but it just, Joe had his finest moment in that car, but it turned into a bad one. Cause it, remember when him and him and, um, Steve Radley were battling for the win in a Concy, I think, right? And they both ended up in the third turn wall hard, and one of them almost went over. I don't remember which one that almost parked it over the wall, but one of the two of them did. And I think Joe at that point had changed his number to 41. And I don't remember what car that would have been. But I feel like that car was faster for him than, than the capper car. But, I mean, those capper cars are gorgeous, you know. And... Uh, but I do think there was a bad spill at Syracuse. And I think it was with the capper car. I think that's why he ended up with the next car, but Joe had 33 to start with. And I think he went to, I want to say 41, but again, I could be, could be off on that. Um, golly, who would be, um, what order here? Cause, um, I, I think if I remember right after Chalemi, was no longer 33. Uh, we got into the 90s before we had another 33, I think. And I think the next one would have been Jennifer Chesborough, right? Wasn't Jen 33? Jen was... Uh, I enjoyed... First of all, I enjoyed talking to Jen and her dad. I used to really enjoy talking to the two of them. She was a nice... Nice young lady, and and she really wanted to race, and and um and and her dad was was a good mechanic. Um, she uh I think she ended up winning a heat race, one of the Isma Classics at Oswego, didn't she? I think she did. And I also think I remember Steve Joya. I don't think he ever raced the car, but I think he hot lapped it. And I I even think I remember, wasn't it? Well, it would have been not Brad. It would have been Mike Lichty, right? Didn't he drive it one Classic weekend? Um, I think she was 33. I'm pretty sure. And then the other 33 that I remember. And again, I'm going to say, I think, because I could be kidding myself here, but I think that Dave Schillick senior had a car that was numbered. I think it was 33, but I think when Dave jr. Started racing in it, it became 38. And I'm not sure if there were, there were team cars or whatever. Um, but I think Dave Sr. was 33 in this car that I'm thinking of, and it's the one that he ended up in the... There was a multi-car classic wreck, one classic, and I think Tim Snyder was in it, and oh gosh, who else? There were probably four or five cars, but I think Dave ended up like pinned on his side against the wall or something, and there was a fire that started, and um, crew got him out without any serious injury, I believe, but... Um, I think that car was 33, if I remember right. Um, and the only other 33, and I'm not even sure about this, to be honest, but it's coming to mind, so I think I'm right, would have been in the limited super, which is now the SBS class. But back when it was the limited class, a guy named Bob Rundell, I think, was 33. Was he? Was he not? I think Bob Rundell. Ran his 33. Now in the modifieds, you had Bobby Otto. Used to be 33 when they would come here. And I go, I think that goes back to the 70s, I think. Um, and then I think uh, 
the Hedger, Randy Hedger car, modified car, I think a couple times was renumbered 33. Um, it was, it was, it, it carried three, but sometimes there'd be two threes. So um, there are a few threes in the mods that ran a swiggo. Fane Corbin was one of them. And of course you had the bowler three that used to run off and on with like Freddie DeSaro. And then I don't think it ran more than a few times if that with, with Fred, but then uh, started coming back with other drivers, Mike McLaughlin, Doug Haveron, um, whoever else would have been in it in, in, you know, as we get into like the eighties, nineties, whatever. But, um, but um, Dean Hogue, I think ran the Hedger car is 33 a couple times. And I do also think that Don McLaren, had a super that was probably renumbered 33 at one point for, for again, a number change from 30. I, I want to say I remember Don McLaren in a 33 at one point, early, 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 early 70s. Um, or maybe it was a modified, actually. Might have been his gremlin modified. Um, gosh, I think I got most of them. <laughs> um, Bob Rundell was a funny guy. And I and when I say funny, I mean laughing funny. Like he was a really entertaining guy. Bobby was fun to talk to because he always, um, he used to be able to do a good imitation of Howie Page. Uh, <laughs> and he did it once or twice in front of Howie. I remember. I remember being a witness to that. It was pretty funny. Howie was Howie was always a good sport. Um. I think that's it for the 33s as, as far as I can remember anyway, watch there's somebody that runs it today and I'll miss it, but that's usually what happens. But off the top of my head, I think I got the most of them and y'all can fill in and talk about the ones I mentioned. You know, that's one of the things I love is, is, you know, you guys would jump in and talk more about some of these guys because stuff I've forgotten. Um, like, uh, somebody posted a picture today of one of the Dan Denny cars that Dan built himself. And I'm thinking this had to be very early eighties. I don't remember it. I don't remember the car, at least not by the shape of the front end, which he's posed next to the car. It's a classic program. I just don't remember the car. Um, at least in that livery. So, uh, gosh, we've only got a couple of more of these. What's in the numbers left. Don't we, uh, 34 and 35. That's it. Then we're done because we started at 36, went all the way to 99. Then double zero to 09. We've done one through 33 now. So 34, 35 is all we got left here. So a couple more shows worth. Um, and this has been fun. And for those of you who wonder, like, why, why do you do this? Um, I'll just take a second and quickly explain it. It, it the, the real genesis of it was, I think, and, and I don't know if this started when Danny Kapazinski was promoting the track. I think it did, but I'm not positive. But um, I know it's been happening the last few years with Cam, and I think Danny did it. Um, they, he's, they started the social media countdown from like 99 days to opening day, then 98, 97, you know. Um, and they would always show a picture of, you know, a car with with that number. And then I would jump in and on one of the whatever social i saw it on i would jump in and try to you know 
paste more drivers in there that drove the number. Just it was really a brain teaser for me. I love I love doing that. Love going back and trying to remember. And so then I for some for whatever reason, ex episode thirty six of this podcast, I I just started doing it. And we, we went to ninety nine. I thought I was done and then <laughs> Robert Metcalf said, Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Why don't you do double zero to 09 and then up one to thirty five because you're you know, zero, one, you know, two, three, all the way up to, cause you, you didn't start till episode 36. And I went, okay, well, we always corresponded it to the episode numbers. So there were a number of shows about 17 or 18 shows where we had to do two different what's in the numbers in order to, to correspond it with the episode number. So, um, and <laughs> so we've, we've gotten, um, quite a bit of mileage out of this actually. So thank you, Robert. Appreciate that. And by the way, uh, for those of you who know Robert or have been aware of Robert's, uh, health issues, health challenges over the last couple of years, he's still fighting cancer and he did make it to the classic and it was great to see him. Great to finally meet him. But, um, again, he still needs our help folks. First of all, he still needs our prayers. He's not out of the woods yet, but, um, also, if you are able, he still needs uh, us to help him with donations to his GoFundMe. Um, because obviously, as I'm sure most of you know, and a lot of you I'm sure have had, you know, uh, cancer or whatever in your family and you're, you know what the costs are, um, please help him out if you are able. There is a GoFundMe for him, um, and uh, if you would 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 help him uh, as much as possible, as often as you can, he needs us. So, um, but uh, we we're thinking of you, Bob. We're praying for you, and um, we we really uh, really are looking forward to the day when you tell us that everything's all all clear for now. Uh, but it was great to be able to see that you were able to come to the classic and, and, uh, and enjoy it. So, um, wow, that's, uh, we'll wrap the show up here. And again, you know, I hope, uh, hope you all enjoyed the kernel. It was fun to, to get Joe on. And by the way, um, that the, the interview kind of ended with a, a nice little quote from him. It wasn't originally intended to, we did have a bit of a, um, technical issue with, uh, the cell reception that, um, it, it made it so that I had to sort of pick a cogent point to cut the interview off because I couldn't, you know, we, you didn't miss anything. Basically it was just, you know, we wrapped up and thanked him for coming on and all that. So I just wanted y'all to understand that there was a little issue there, but it was nothing. Didn't, um, didn't subtract anything from the interview and it actually, <laughs> in a way it ended, uh, it ended kind of appropriately. Uh, cause I do believe Talon Hawksby is going to give Joe, uh, the first Hawksby family feature win. And I know Joe and Joey and the whole family will be super excited when that happens. I think he and Dawson um, in, you know, in the next few years, he and Dawson are both going to be feature winners at a swiggle. I believe it hundred percent. So um, hope you all have a blessed and safe racing weekend and look forward to much more coming on the inside groove. Thanks to, Wiggity Wayne Sauces, IPC Indy, JNS Paving, and 
uh, Skip's Fish Fry slash LaGroff's Pub. Oh, by the way, closing bit of huge news. Friday Fish Fry is back at LaGroff's. So go support this. Skip's Fish Fry Fridays back at LaGroff's Pub. So go to LaGroff's. If you're in the Oswego area, you're coming through Oswego area on Friday nights. Support those that support the racing at Oswego and certainly Sean Cathcart and his team do. So go get your fish, dine in or take out, no delivery. Dine in or take out. Skip's Fish Fry Fridays are back at LaGroff's Pub. Go get you some. Until the next Inside Groove, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you for listening. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.